There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands this conversation. And I often draw on the meaning and work research I've conducted over the last 15 years, as well as from my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but let me thank my sponsor, Recover Mattress. As an athlete and a very active professional myself, I know the importance of good sleep, and Recover Mattress is a hybrid mattress designed specifically to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. You can learn more about the story of how this company was founded and the mattress itself by visiting recovermattress.com. There is no E after the V. How's that? Recovermattress.com. And if you do decide to buy a mattress, you can, thanks to this program and partnership, enjoy a 50% discount by using the code WOP50, short for working on purpose, 50% off. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Rachel Malo. She was an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and mentor. She's the author of The Ten Commandments of Success Without Apology. We talked about meeting our own expectations of success, what we have to give up to do success on our own terms, and how we can support and empower each other as women along this journey. With us this week is Dr. Erica Jacoby. She is the executive director of LC Global Consulting Incorporated, and she's all about change, growth, and innovation consulting with offices in New York and Munich, Germany. We'll be talking about her fresh research on the cognition of innovation she just completed in her PhD program, among other things. She joins us today from New York City. Erica, welcome back to Working on Purpose. Elise, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you again. It is so great. You know, I think about, I was doing a little bit of historical looking as I thought about our show tonight, and I was remembering, of course, we started together at the university, well, the Field and Graduate University. You were working on your PhD, so was I. We were both at a conference um, sharing what we'd come up with in terms of our research, and that was so great. We were both in India. That was amazing. That was 2014, by the way, if you can possibly believe that. And I think it was 2016, you were a guest on my show. And at that time, the topic that we took on was, do you have what it takes to make your dreams come true? And you had just opened up your second consulting firm in America and had simultaneously started your doctoral program like a crazy woman. So in hindsight, first things first, did your dream come true? I think it did. And I'm smiling while you're introducing me. Um, it wasn't easy, in all fairness. Um, and I think your description sort of covers me. At times, I felt like, oh, my gosh, this was the ba- the worst um, decision ever. And I felt like a crazy woman many, many, many times. But I do think my dream has come true. And my dream for sure includes lifelong learning um, and I think that is one of the key factors at least for me for working on purpose which is what the show is all about I suppose. 
Well, and first, let me also say something that I want to call out because many, any any listeners that have heard me a couple times know that I have an affinity for languages, and I want to call out that I so appreciate that you have such an ability to speak English and German, and I don't know what else do you speak. What else? Oh my gosh, a number of other languages, but uh, you know, English, French, and Spanish, but. English and German, for sure, being my best languages. That's really wonderful. I certainly applaud that. And the show does enjoy a global listenership, so it's great to have people on who can speak other languages as well. Thanks. Yes, I love it. So I, I want to get into your research. Incredibly exciting stuff that you worked on around cognition and identity and, and really it is in self-described successful businesses. So first, as before we even get into that, I want to understand what in the world made you to, to decide to go and look into this field in the first place. It's not, I wouldn't say this is probably an easy field to inquire into. No, it's really not. And a lot of people sort of warned me to, to do this research and it wasn't easy. And I had a lot of help from, from really great people and great scholars out there. So it was a true collaborative effort. Uh, what made me explore the cognition of innovation and uh, what successful companies may be all about, of course we need more research, um, and how we can link cognition and, and linguistic patterns into this is my simple work as, as a consultant. Um, Whenever I go into an organization, um, people throw certain, what I would now call identity claims towards me. They would say, we're all about innovation, and Erica, let's mm -hmm. do this, that, and the other. Or, <laughs> believe it or not, I've been in very, very successful organizations, companies, uh, Fortune 50, where, where people would continuously say all over the globe, uh, it's time to leave the sinking ship. And I was always thinking, that's really interesting. Uh, for as long as the people have been saying that in such consistency, the company had never, ever gone down. With the same married, I was always wondering, whenever a company says, we're so innovative, is it really true? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and what, if so, what makes it true? What's the... Uh, what's the secret sauce behind it? And uh, so my first uh, master's was in cognitive linguistics um, from the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich, Germany. And so I married my two fields for an interdisciplinary research study on the cognitive linguistic patterns in what I would now call emergent identity claims we are innovative, it's time to leave the sinking ship, we are moving forward always. Um, so whenever the words we are um, are involved, that's what I was interested in. And what is the cognition behind that? And how does the sense of who we are actually um, emerge in an organization? And how does it get fostered and sustained in an organization? Oh, you know that I find this hopelessly yummy on all fronts because you know that in addition to my research into meaning and work, I, I also looked at how our work informs our sense of self or our identity. So I'm very interested and definitely want to dive into this. And so next, if you would, now with that kind of a backdrop of where this came from, help us get into your research. Can you summarize it a bit? What exactly did you look at in your study and how did you go about your study? Mm -hmm. um, I was capable, I, you know, 
one of my mentors and committee uh, dissertation committee members, Dr. Mike Manning, gave me access to their um, research data. They have been working with um, the Center of Values-Based Leadership from the Benedictine University. They have been uh, doing a long-term research project that discovered the relationship between values and um, culture and success. So they had a huge archive of data um, that dealt with these questions and they had done their own research around this. So Mike Manning gave me access to some of that and we looked into the self-described organization, uh, self-described successful organizations and so I got the data anonymized, and um, then I just really looked for the magic formulas for my research. We are in various different shapes of forms. Um, you know, it's not always we are. It could be it is time to leave the sinking ships. And so it, I did a whole lot of thinking uh, in preparation for this research as to how people could voice uh, their reference to their own company. And I had come up with five categories. One was who we are, if it pertains to that subject, um, what we do, how we do what we do, um, how we know we belong, because I thought that also uh, catered to the sense of who we are, and what we can be in the future. Um, so I had uh, come up with these categories in preparation for this research and then I looked, I had closed these in grammatical formulas so that also a computer program could search this after my research. And um, then I had just um, isolated those phrases. And then I would run all of these phrases. I think all in all, it was like 50,000 words that I looked at. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was tough. Um, and there were many times when I really, really wanted to give up because I thought it's too much. It's not manageable. But I'm glad I, I went through with the whole project. So around 50,000 words that I looked at and I analyzed them through with the typical cognitive linguistic lens. Um, what we do is a couple of things. We look at how much thought diversity uh, versus thought homogeneity is there. Okay, uh, yeah. We do know that groups of any size, it could be nations, it could be teams, it could be, you know, a couple, a romantic couple, that groups of any sizes have what we call a shared memory, mm. a shared semantic memory. They use the same words, they often make the same grammatical mistakes, or they, they have their own lingo, so to speak. And that tells us something about the thought homogeneity and the thought diversity in within that group. So my first question was like, in these self-described successful organizations, how much uh, how much shared semantic um, memory do we have? Because some of these organizations were extremely uh, geographically dispersed. And uh, is that really also true, this assumption? Is it true for companies um, that at times have 40,000 employees all over the world? And does this 
assumption that we have in cognitive linguistics, does it still hold true? And the answer, at least based on my research, is yes. <laughs> they All the companies I looked into had that shared semantic memory. They would use very often the same vocabulary, <laughs> although they were geographically dispersed. Um, very often not even very much in touch with the headquarters, for example, uh, they would use the same vocabulary to describe their identity, the sense of who we are. And I thought this was breathtaking to start out with, but then I also found a certain dynamic behind the whole thing. But I might want to pause here to, to give me a little bit of a breather to digest the whole thing. <laughs> Yes, thank you for that, because I do want to hear a little bit about some of your surprises and ahas and, wow, I didn't think that I would see that kind of stuff. That's always wonderful as a researcher to be delighted like that. So those five categories, in terms of your, your actual results, are your results that there are these five categories, or how would you summarize your actual results? Um, the five categories is something I went in with, right? Gotcha. So okay. um, that would sort of be a circular. Yes, I did find them, but we all know, we all know that when you're looking for something, you will also find them, right? Yes, so, right. Um, so yes, that was confirmed, but I was much more interested in how would I find them, in which proportion, leaning to. So I was. Very, very surprised that uh, these self-described successful organizations would hardly ever talk about who we are. They would always, almost always, talk about how we do what we do. Um, hmm. Another finding that blew me away, really, um, and I might want to say something up front so that people can understand my own assumption that I had, in cognitive linguistics, which is of course very closely related to anything that goes on your in your brain and your psyche and so on, we have a certain um, definition of the word success. Uh, it is that you can that you can construe and co-construe the future to your own desire, so that you can really construe a desired future. For that very reason, I was very interested in how often, it was a quantitative study as well, how often people would talk about the future of this company. You know, and uh, as a consultant, I very, very often go into organizations and it's all about tomorrow. You know, what, what are we going to do tomorrow? What, and, and let's do this and let's do that. And uh, so I was relatively certain that I would find predominantly um, the, the sense of what we can be in the future, that people would talk mm -hmm. about that. And uh, they, in, in all companies, they practically did not talk about that. That was my first finding that blew me away. And that also confirmed, uh, in a way, my own research setup. Because if you don't find what you expected, then I think you know that you set the research up fairly well, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Lovely. So, <laughs> yeah, so lovely. I, I, was, I was really surprised about that. And instead, what those companies were doing, they were talking about what we're doing now and how we're doing mm. things now. Not the future. Got it. Not the future. Um, and then there were other true surprises that I didn't expect at all. Um, 
given, I mean, with my background in, in linguistics and cognitive linguistics, I did expe expect those companies to have a shared semantic memory. What I didn't expect <laughs> was that it was so, um, so clear and that there was also a certain cognitive type behind each and every company. So for each and every company, I could really almost come up with a the cognitive DNA, the way they think across members, across levels, um, and a surprising homogeneity in, in those companies around the way they think about their company and about how they do the things that they do. So that surprised me. And um, another thing that surprised me was also that we do have certain cognitive linguistic patterns that we find, shall we say, healthier than others. Um, for example, that we normally wouldn't use the word no too often, right? But there was one company that consistently um, described themselves via um, negated sentences. They would always describe what they don't do. Um, and that surprised me. But it was so consistent across their own organization that it was just their type of, of conversing with each other. It was just their, their style of thinking around their company and uh, it obviously didn't do them any harm. So one could summarize that by saying maybe those culture brandings are overrated. It doesn't really matter so much what people think about uh, their organization, it's much more the homogeneity around it, um, that that stays consistent. Wow. And with that, I want to delve more into what you talked about there, Erica, but let's go ahead and take a quick break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We went on the air with Erica Jacoby. She is a freshly minted PhD. She is the executive director of LC Global Consulting, Inc., which is a change, growth, and innovation consulting firm with offices in New York and Munich, Germany. We've been talking a bit about what got her into her research and some of her actual results. After the break, we're going to talk about some of the applications within organizations and what she's learned there. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Erica Jacoby. She's the Executive Director of LC Global Consulting, Inc., which is a change, growth, and innovation consulting firm with offices in New York City and Munich, Germany. Before the break, we were we were talking about your some of the findings that you found, Erica, and I want to give you a chance to add any, anything else that you would like to present for us around findings. Then I want to make one comment on some of the things you've been saying. Okay, you want to make the comment afterwards. Okay, great. Yes. Um, so I think I've been stressing the thought homogeneity quite a bit in the last outline before the break. 
but there was not only thought homogeneity there. There was also diversity there, quite a considerable uh, diversity, thought diversity. And what I thought was really interesting is that that uh, diversity did not always originate at the top level. Much of the homogeneity originated from the level, uh, from the top management levels, but the spontaneity, the, ho uh, the diversity um, in their thinking around their own identity and um, in their cognitive types, that was much more driven by, shall we say, the lower levels of the organization. And I thought that was quite um, breathtaking. I was fascinated by it. And um, another tendency that I saw that, that really uh, blew my mind away was um, that there were certain tendencies in the top management across all companies um, that almost overdid things. They were so certain of how to almost brand their companies and they always knew how to sort of position their companies. And surprisingly so, in the lower levels, I don't like the word, but you know, just for a lack of a better one, in the other levels of the organization, it was a true soul searching. They weren't sure of how to brand their company. It was really um, almost stream of consciousness. Uh, they they almost made their identity up in the moment, and it was even more surprising that then they used the same vocabulary around it. Um, but there was a tendency in all organizations to level extreme tendencies mostly by the top management, uh, where it was an overbranding, an overbranded pattern, shall we say, those would be leveled out. They would be reinterpreted. Uh, they would be softened. Um, and I thought this was really, for me, one of the signs of the cognition of innovation, that if we have extreme tendencies in any organization, um, that in a healthy organization, these will be leveled out by other parts of the organization. In the same uh, way, if we have a consistent way of describing and feeling and living and practicing our identity, by around 80% in a healthy organization, I think this much we can say, at least for this research, um, there would also be totally new ways of describing uh, the very same phenomenon. And by that, I really mean important words, like what does it mean to be successful in this company? Um, so we would have different representations for what that would mean. So we had an overall um, homogeneity around what it means to be successful here, but then there would be new tendencies and that's where the innovation can start. So it is this almost crazy, almost wild dynamic of difficult to replicate for sure. <laughs> Um, dynamic of, yes, we need this sense of identity and that's where we need homogeneity. And then we also need this dynamic of new things to emerge and that needs to be possible. And in my eyes, the, the strongest 
uh, reading that I had from the from the findings is really that in a healthy organization, whatever wild tendencies, um, uh, overdone tendencies, off balance tendencies, there are in an organization in a healthy organization at least that's what i would like to probe into for my next research um these will be balanced out um mm -hmm. so those were my pretty um surprising findings i would say how delicious i'm so glad that i get to be here to catch this and share it with our listeners across the globe i'm i'm very very interested and wanted to ask a couple of questions here and forgive me the first one's probably going to sound very very germane and basic to you but i don't have a background in cognitive linguistics like you do i am noticing that when you talk about how you're paying attention to this language of how they talk about how they innovate and and certainly the thinking that comes behind that what i'm present to is within the work that i've been doing in management consulting is we talk a lot about the de declarative power of language that when and the way in which we use language is so important and can empower us or disempower us can limit us can give us to can send us into possibility and i'm very present to the power of the, of that those language structures that you're talking about within organizations uh, can you comment on that yes uh, number one i would say you are saying it much more eloquently than i ever could. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful um, yeah i would say i would confirm that and i would say that much of the research would confirm that too um, and it's not the big woo-ha it's not around positive thinking it's just really how uh, almost our brain is wired and i think um, I don't want to overcomplicate things, but it is almost a way of how our brain and uh, therefore organizations and people, how we learn. And that happens through language very often. So our brain, whenever we look at any phenomenon, um, it could be a chair, it could be the word success, which is really multi-layered. Nobody really knows what success is, right? So the way our brain works is we look at an object or a thing, uh, a phenomenon, and attach meaning to it. That meaning will, of course, since we're human beings, come via language. Mm -hmm. um, and then we would also say there, there, there has been um, decade-long, century-long research around this, that there is language that can enable um, future possibilities better than than other language, I would say, um, and we have so much research around what we call, for example, generative metaphors, where, where companies also use metaphors to create future worlds. Um, I know of one company that, for example, modeled their organization design via looking at how a city is modeled and so on, and that's how they use that language around that metaphor to shape their organization design, which is very powerful. Um, with that said, it's, it's unfortunately my research is <laughs> not that easy or didn't lend itself to um, these findings quite so readily. One, for sure, language that I would usually pin down as not so helpful, but it worked for them. It was an extraordinarily um, successful company, so it worked for them. And I even developed the thought further because I was so 
so struck by the idea that they would use all this relatively negative language. And um, I really found out that each and every company had their own cognitive around matters of growth, for example. So one company would um, have a conservative, preservative cognitive type around the way they they grew. So they would always say, we're not doing this and this and this, but we're doing that. And that was consistent throughout the entire organization. They would always construe their identity in uh, respect to their growth strategies or even subconscious or unconscious uh, growth strategies with we're, we will never ever do this and that, but we will always do something else. So in their company, it didn't play out negatively at all. And uh, so it's almost, um, at least in my research, if it goes along well with your identity, with your growth type, with your cognition, then it just goes along well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so that leads me to the next question that I want to pose before we go on to our next break here. We've been talking a bit about where this research came from and some of the interesting findings that you found. Let's now apply it. So people that are listening to the show who care about innovation, care about culture, leaders, how what can they take from what you've shared? What does it mean in terms of being a consultant or being a business leader, what you've learned? Yeah, thanks for that question, because I think it's a very important question. None of us want to do research that just stays in the in the drawers or in the abyss, in the abyss of our computers, right? Um, I've been thinking about this one long and hard, and of course we need more research, but I think we have very strong indicators that, uh, of course, we have tendencies um, in the Western business culture to overbrand our culture, to overbrand our identity. But I really didn't find any of those overbranded patterns or sentences to even only fly around the organization. So um, those would really go last. Instead, I think this free sense making of things, this, this leaving room for um, attaching new meaning to old words. I think that is so important. And while I don't want people to go out there and overbrand that, <laughs> um, I do think it's important to sort of establish the sense of home. We know who we are. Uh, we know what we do in this country and we do know how we do certain things, but it cannot be this um, relentlessly repeated slogan. It should be based on this sense-making that people can only have if they live and practice these things. Uh, that's what we know about language. It will only come out that way if people have a lived memory behind it, a practiced memory behind it. So it's, it is something that comes from the shared practices and it doesn't come from branding. So um, I want to be a little bit careful what I'm saying here, but just to be a little bit poignant, I would say maybe um, notch down the culture initiatives a little bit. Don't overbrand your identity. Don't 
don't don't overbrand your branding and your culture initiatives for true innovation to take place i think we need the freedom to really on the one hand feel at home have a shared sense of how we do things but then there needs to be this free floating let's attach again meaning new meaning to old things and if we look at uh, things like agile team collaboration um, one thing that I could tell people maybe is of course it's based on giving each other daily feedback but then let's look at each other um, whether we have really understood the differentiations a lot because sometimes when we give each other feedback we just go like oh I understand what you were trying to say and then we take it from there but I think for true uh, for truly new things to emerge, it's important to really establish mechanisms where you can say, okay, we want to reframe this a little bit together as a team. Because other than that, I think even in an agile team, things can become the same old, same old really quickly. Okay, perfect. With that, hold on, let's take another quick break because I want to come back and ask more about that. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We went on the air with Dr. Erica Jacoby, who is the executive director of LC Global Consulting, Inc., a change, growth, and innovation consulting firm with offices in New York City and Munich, Germany. We've been talking about her research, her findings, and how they can be applied within organizations to improve innovation. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Erica Jacoby. She's a newly minted PhD, by the way. She's the executive director of LC Global Consulting, Inc., which is a change, growth, and innovation consulting firm with offices in New York City and Munich, Germany. I want to also thank my sponsor, Recover Mattress. They are a hybrid mattress designed to improve sleep for muscle recovery for active lifestyles. They help make the show possible. Thank you to them. So before the break, Erica, we were talking a bit about some of the, your findings and how companies can start to use what you found to improve their innovation. And one of the things that I really was riveted onto is what you had said earlier on in the show about that the innovation wasn't necessarily driven from the higher up leadership, but rather some of the, the the more individual contributor team members. And I got this idea of, you know, really letting them play, letting them just letting them loose, if you will. Um, can you comment a bit on that, of how that showed up for you in your research? Yeah, I mean, I would have, you know, I would absolutely agree with you. And um, I think in my dissertation, which is going to be published very, very soon, um, I sort of drew the parallel to sort of saying, like, identity is almost acquired, like, in the way we acquire a first language. It's like, yes, the parents give the role model and they will just be who they 
are and they will speak the way they speak and that's how any child up a first language just by being living in the same environment and so on um, and then at one point I think for really being able to freely construe desired future states again that is the de definition of success um, in many cognitive linguistic literatures um, that's when we almost need to say okay now you can use your language and do with it whatever you want to do right and that's where um, the innovation and the success and the new future desired states can can emerge and and come into being. And I thought this was quite a, a nice parallel. And um, I would uh, second your thought. Uh, it is about, yes, of course there are boundaries, and I think boundaries are equally important for innovation and, and success. But the rest, we need to trust people that they will just get it right, so to speak. Right? Um, they, if they play with things, um, it'll it'll be all right. They they will probably not say anything uh, bad against the culture, or we. I, so I think it's a big credo for we don't need to be quite so concerned um, in a in a vibrant organization. Things things will be all right. <laughs> I just had a, a wonderful, marvelous, another delicious thought. I want to try this on really quick and see if this also jives with what you came up with and what you what you know about um, cognitive linguistics. When I'm out speaking to audiences, especially around passion and purpose and identity, I talk to them about how they have their own life story, that they themselves are the author, and therefore they're also the editor. They can change the way that they see themselves and therefore their identity based on how they talk about their life stories. Are we talking the same sort of thing? Absolutely. Okay. And that's why I thought it was so, um, you know, we, we all, when we look at research, we always want to know the findings from the end, but I think there were some findings in between. Mm -hmm. And for me, one of the uh, greatest findings of all was that they all, and I'm talking every single person um, that I looked at, they all had the stream of consciousness whenever and I'm, remember, I didn't even look at other things of the interview. Um, and also, we need to remember that these things happen rather unconsciously. The, the interviews were conducted around a totally different topic. So whenever they were talking about who they are as a company, that's when they would go into this almost um, insane stream of consciousness, which made the research and the analysis really, really difficult for me. Um, and, and, you know, of course, I had co-coders and it was reviewed and by other people and some other cognitive linguists said, like, oh, my gosh, you know, the grammar goes off. They're almost totally off here. How can we analyze this? But I was thinking this is the greatest finding. They do not draw upon slogans that you know, they, they are not preaching to the choir, they are not chanting their values. Um, they have to construe what it means to be us in the moment. That's how unconsciously they're operating in the way we are and in the way we do things. And for that to come out 80% the same in an organization, um, that I found really breathtaking, and of course, I would also almost like to develop this into a 
um, you know, towards an assessment tool and things like this. But it is that stream of consciousness where I thought, like, this is something that happens in the moment. And that's what I found so breathtaking around this. So I, I don't know whether you see the connection to what you said, but I do. <laughs> I do, and I also want to acknowledge just again how lovely it is to see somebody living in passion and purpose in the work that they do. It's lovely to behold, it's enticing, it's enchanting. Who doesn't want to be around stuff like this when someone's turned on about what they're up to in life? It's just great, Erica. So I'm so glad you're here with me, and we're sharing what you've been up to with, with the listeners. Same here. So let's take it again back. So when you, when I think that I'm an organization, I, I, I met with a fantastic leader today in, in Dallas and really re- respect and admire his work in leadership. If, if we were going to introduce, and I suppose we are in this moment, introduce this research to some various leaders across the globe, how can they take what you learned to help improve their organization and help improve innovation within their organization? Um, again, I don't think we are ready to have ready-made answers, but yes. what I, but what I would hope is almost Peter Senge once said about his really groundbreaking work. Uh, not that I want to compare myself to him, but um, he once said in one of his books around his concept of the learning organization, I do hope this does not become the next fad, right? Yes. Uh, Far from it, of course, with my research, but I do hope that nobody would ever take this and sort of say like, okay, now we do X, Y, Z, right? So it's it's not that easy, and I find that a, a blessing. What I would hope for leaders to take away is that um, is maybe an affirmation of the capability to stay within uncertainty, if that mm. makes sense it at all. It does, beautifully. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as we have so many leadership co- concepts nowadays. The, the question really is, how do we live in a very, very uncertain world where the, we have many threats in the business world? We have so many threats that we don't even know about. And I think um, that is the number one leadership capability that we need uh, for leaders to develop, that they can stay within an absolute uncertain space and make sense of that. And the only news I have is, guess what? You can, in a, in a healthy organization, you can trust your people. You can trust your, you will have established everything it takes for these people to to operate in the best way they know around their company, again, almost like with children and and great parents, um, that at one point we do know uh, what it takes to be successful in this company. And then they can go out and play, as you said, and do things on their own. And a leader of such an organization can rest assured that they will have done everything it takes to sort of give them that sense of belonging. Um, there was one other finding that I would like to to point out. It's, it's a little bit early days, but all of them, uh, to an extraordinarily high percentage, we were almost talking like four times across companies uh, per identity claim, which is where I seriously doubled and triple checked my own findings. Those people were attaching their sense of who we are and how we do things to 
spatial categorizations. And from what we think we know around cognitive linguistics is that we can almost draw a, a mind map in their from their brains. They are really, while they were doing their um, their their sense making, while they were in that stream of consciousness. <laughs> You could have almost seen how they were walking around in the company. That means they were there and they felt so great about this that they just went like, huh, how do we do things here? You know, they didn't even feel stressed out of having to, you know, to chant certain slogans. Um, quite to the contrary, I, I also found that a good 20%, they were totally contradicting each other. You know, one person would say, we always do things like this, and another would say the exact opposite. Um, and, and that is healthy. And I think that can uh, help leaders as well to sort of stay in that uncertainty space and, and almost roll with it um, and, and, and rest assured that as long as we have this uh, dynamic diversity, that's what keeps the organization healthy. I, you know, I, I need to still do the next research, which would be research on, on companies that are stuck. But what I would uh, expect is really the opposite. I would almost expect very branded language or, or you know, that people have much more um, thought homogeneity or whatever else it, it remains to be seen but I am relatively certain that for companies to be that successful we're talking of extraordinary success extraordinary success here with these case companies um, we need that dynamic so I don't know whether this is helpful. I know there are easier answers around leadership, but I don't believe in them any longer. <laughs> well, well, a couple of things to that. A couple of things to that. Uh, first, I want to what you got. What I got out of that was the importance of diversity and and enrolling or inviting diversity and and uh, encouraging people from various diverse perspectives and experiences to contribute their their thought and their their perspective is what I got out of that. Another thing that I got that you said earlier, too, that I think is really interesting, well, well, before I say that, just a sec, let me also say that I, I also appreciate that you are not giving pat answers, like a company should go do this. I recommend that they take this action, this behavior, which would be very, very prescriptive. And I, I, I appreciate that. You're actually help making us think. And, and I, I think that's really an important distinction between what we often hear in terms of what's out there and what you're doing for us today. And I really applaud that. Eric, I think it's important for us to think for ourselves. And then the other thing that I was wanted to call out a little bit was you said something about reframing before. And I, I can certainly imagine that in a conversation in an organization where somebody's maybe they're talking about something and maybe they are stuck and they keep saying the same things over and over again. And I wonder what would happen is if somebody even just said, can we reframe that for just a moment? Yeah. I mean, I'm just really trying to put uh, my thoughts into the more applicable thoughts into a, for example, blog articles or, or webcasts or whatever else, podcasts. And I was also really thinking reframing is a great art because I would even, by, by now, I would even urge all of us 
all of us, I mean, we walk around in the business world, we walk around in our daily lives, um, all of us to question certain words. Diversity is one of them. I always think when we talk about diversity, we sort of say, yeah, we appreciate diversity as long as you think my way. And, uh, and I mean, I think we all have, me included, those, you know, hot buttons where, where we could explode the minute we hear certain things. And that's, in my work with teams and organizations and leaders, that's where I always urge people to, now is the time, you know, when you sense this almost anger, we've all been there, right? This anger around certain ideas, um, this, this, oh my gosh, how could you even only say that? That's the time that, that those emotions, which we all want to suppress in, um, in meetings and in, in, in organizations and so on, I always think and urge leaders to, to sort of take that as your guideline to say, okay, whatever was said here is probably really, really important. So anger is a good uh, signpost. Uh, laughter, another one. Uh, silence, another one. Whenever we find ourselves in meetings and people, you know, someone, um, one of my um, work with, with the company, we, we once said, uh, you know, just brainstorming, what could we develop uh, for the future? And then someone said, uh, well, what about if this company won the, the Nobel Prize? And everybody start, started laughing. And I said, pass, what for? Um, so that's, that whenever there is laughter, whenever there is anger that we want to suppress, whenever there is silence, I think those are good signposts that we're, we're trying to gloss over differences. That is a fantastic way to finish the show. What an incredibly powerful point to finish with, Dr. Erica Jacoby. It is so great to have you back on the show. And listeners, if you want to learn more about the work that Erica and her team do or check out her research or engage with her about her research, contact her. You can visit her website. It's lc-global-us.com. Join us next week when we have yet another delightful conversation about this topic of meaningful and productive work. And remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>